So welcome, everybody. Thank you for being here with us. Uh, and for those of you who are checking us out for the first or second time, we are really glad that you are here, that if, you've, if it's your second time that you came back, if it's your first, we hope that you have found us to be hospitable and welcoming, and as we would love to walk alongside you on your spiritual journey. For those who are tuning in online because you're traveling, we're thankful for technology, glad you're here. There is a host online today, so if you have questions, you need prayer during the service, they would love to help you and to connect with you through that. You can actually click on their name, and there's a private chat room you can go into if you need something more private. And for those of you who call Great Oaks home, thanks again for joining with us and being here. We are in week four, our final week of our relationship series that we have called Relationship Status, and where we're looking at some of those most significant and important relationships in our lives. So far, we've talked about what it means to level up our friendship, to level up our marriages, and to last week, Chris was here and talked about leveling up our relationship with our coworkers. And so this week we dive in with maybe our most important and most significant relationship and the relationship that helps us level up all those others, and that's our relationship with Jesus. How do we take our relationship with Jesus to the next level? Now that, the next level can be one step up from where you are. You might be here today and might be like, I, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. Man, am I glad you're here. And if you're checking it out or you're skeptical, thank you for coming and for exploring that. And if you've been walking with Jesus for like 60 years, I think there's always another step, another place for us to grow, another way for us to connect. And so that's what we're going to be doing this morning. But before we get there, have you ever been expected to show up somewhere you didn't want to go? Maybe it was, maybe it's work tomorrow, right? You're like, it's homecoming weekend. I'm tired. I don't want to go to work. I know what's waiting for me when I get there. I know I'm expected to show up on Monday mornings, but man, I don't want to. Or maybe it's a, just a meeting at work that you're like, oh, this one's coming and you've known it's been coming. You can think back to that time. Uh, a lot of people don't like going to holiday parties with coworkers, right? So maybe that's where you were expected to show up. Or maybe it's holidays with family. You're like... I know I'm expected to be there, but we're going to talk about that topic, and I hate when we talk about that, so I don't know what to do. In 2019, I got an opportunity to go on a mission trip to La Paz, Bolivia, and it was an amazing trip. Yes, I was expected to show up on the mission trip. It was great, and then we were going to do this fun day, and so I've been hearing about this fun day, and I knew that I had to go on the fun day, but anybody else have irrational fears in life? Anybody, like just this thing that you're like, I've learned to live with this, but it is my irrational fear. My biggest irrational fear is heights. It's why I preach from this stage and not that one. Too tall, right? And so all week I have seen these gondolas is what they called them, moving people through the city. There should be an image on the screen here behind me. And these are like taxis and buses there. So they literally are like ski lifts that are air conditioned. We're going over that mountain. That's where we're headed on that gondola. I was like, this is really high. And we were already like 14,000 feet above sea level. So I just feel like everywhere I am, I'm about to fall and I can't breathe. And they're like, okay, so we're going to take this gondola. Then we're going to get on a bus. And then we're going to walk a half a mile up this mountain. And we're going to zip line. Okay. I can do this. I can do this. I'm with graduating high school seniors. I don't want to look like the wimp. I'm going to do this. We can do this, right? So I'm like, this can't be that bad. We're going to get up. It'll be like 200 feet zip line. It's going to be easy. 
So we're going to zip line over Lake Titicaca. This is the highest navigable lake in the world. It is 15,000 feet. And yeah, I thought we were going over a little 200-foot inlet. No, no, no. I'm going over that span. That is where we're going, 2,500 meters. And the people who are putting the harness on me speak no English. And I speak no Spanish. So I'm like, I hope I connected it right. It's great. So we're literally up there. And I'm like, I, I can't do this. I am going to, no thank you, hard pass. I am walking back to the bus. The bus is going to drive me around to the other side of the island. That is what we're going to do. And then my students started, they're like, come on, Jason, you can do this. So I prayed. There's a picture of me for evidence that I was praying. <laughs> Maybe the hardest I've ever prayed in my whole life. I am sweating. They lock me into this thing, and I do have video proof. We're not going to show it today. Uh, of me ziplining over this thing. You actually can't see them go because they become a speck, but this is proof that I was on the other side. This is someone coming down. They're coming off that top ridge up there in the background, down and across this lake. I have never been so scared in my life, and yet so glad that I showed up, not just so I have great sermon illustrations that I can tell you all about my fears, but it was just an amazing opportunity to see Students overcome fear, and God work in that situation. And then we got to have great food at the end, which is my favorite thing in life. Sometimes in life, all we have to do is show up, and something amazing will happen. Sometimes we just have to show up. And to help you understand what I mean by that, I want to encourage you, if you've got your Bibles or phones, go ahead and open up to John chapter 3. And we're going to take a look at an interaction between Jesus and a guy named Nicodemus. Now, in the con to give you a little context of John chapter 3, Jesus' ministry is just starting, but he has already called some disciples. The disciples, are some of them are following him. He has performed his first miracle, which was to turn an inordinate amount of water into an inordinate amount of wine at a wedding. He had a great party. And then he went to the temple and got run out of the temple by the religious leaders because he made them mad because he kicked out all the money changers and people who were making it difficult for people to worship. And so it's into this context that one of those religious leaders comes to see Jesus at night. But the verses right before John chapter 3, the, at the end of John chapter 2, say this. Because of the miraculous signs Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, many began to trust in him. But Jesus didn't trust them because he knew all about people. No one needed to tell him about human nature for he knew what was in each person's heart. Now, this is not the side of Jesus we talk about all the time. This is not the loving, welcoming, wait, Jesus knew and he didn't trust us? Wait, what? And into this verse walks a man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus, a couple of things you need to know about Nicodemus. He, he was a Pharisee. He was a teacher of the law. He would have had his own disciples who followed him. Nicodemus tells us in the first two verses of John chapter 2 and 3 that he is the guy who has seen Jesus perform the miracles. And because of what he's seen, he wants to believe and he has questions. And so he comes to Jesus at night. And that might be one of the most interesting things about Nicodemus. Why does he come at night? John actually doesn't tell us. 
But we can speculate. Was it so that none of his other friends who are mad and beginning to get ready to figure out how to arrest Jesus don't see him come and he's ashamed to be there? So he's coming in the hit, the cloak of darkness? Is he coming because he's a well-respected leader in Israel and yet he's coming to another teacher to learn, to ask questions, to admit that he doesn't know? Or is it the only time? He like called Jesus' secretary, was like, hey, can I get an appointment on Jesus' schedule? They're like, how about 10 p.m. Thursday? He's like, great, it works out perfect. John doesn't actually tell us why he comes at night. We're just left to speculate. But I don't think it's at night that's the most important. It's that he has this encounter with Jesus where he learns this. A next level relationship with Jesus requires we show up. We have to show up. It doesn't matter where you are with Jesus today. I'm glad you're in the room. But that statement's true for every one of us. If we're going to take our relationship with Jesus to the next level, we have to show up. Let me explain what I mean by reading John chapter 3, beginning in verse 3. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and we bear witness to what we've seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I had told you earthly things, you do not believe. But how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Nicodemus comes to Jesus with questions, seeking to learn to understand. But in typical Jesus form, he seems to answer different questions than Nicodemus is asking. And actually, this is a theme all through the book of John. If you read the rest of John's gospel, it's that those who come to Jesus with questions don't seem to understand his answers. Nicodemus is trying to take the teachings and the miracles and the works of Jesus and make them fit into this Old Testament law that he's taught. But Jesus is here to change the way Nicodemus relates to God, and knows God. And he does the same thing for you and I today. Jesus says, Nicodemus, you must be born again. And Nicodemus takes this literally. Pause for just a moment. Imagine the mental image going through Nicodemus' head as he asks Jesus how that's supposed to happen. All right, don't stay there too long. It gets weird fast. Then Jesus clarifies he's not talking about a physical rebirth, but a spiritual birth. And it's something that we look at this and we're like, born of water and spirit, what's he talking about? Nicodemus would have known exactly what Jesus is talking about. 
Because he's talking about truth that Nicodemus knew in the Old Testament that the prophets talked about. You see, water was always a ceremonial cleansing in the Old Testament. And the Spirit's presence in someone's life was a sign God was going to bless them. Ezekiel says this in, the, in, in his prophecy. Ezekiel 36, 25. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you'll be clean. Your filth will be washed away and you will no longer worship idols. And I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. And I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I'll put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. Jesus is looking at Nicodemus and saying, today's the day. This new heart that God wants to give you is available today. You can be washed clean. You can be given new understanding and new, a new heart that helps you love and worship God. He's taking these two concepts and marrying them together. But Nicodemus still misses this point. And it's at this point that Jesus almost begins to mock Nicodemus. When he says, you teach, you have your own disciples, you don't know these things? How can you not know what the Old Testament says? And then he talks about this other story and he says, it's like when the snake was lifted up and we're like, what snake's he talking about? Well, if you want to do your homework, you can go read Numbers chapter 21. And it's at this point, the Israelites... If you know anything about the Old Testament or you know anything about the Israelites in the desert, what do they do when they're in the desert? What's the number one thing the Israelites do in the desert? Whine. whine and complain, right? They whine and complain. They're like whiny people. So they're whining and complaining again in numbers that God has taken them out of Egypt. He's left them there to die. How could God do this? He doesn't love us. And so God gets tired of this, these accusations, and so he sends poisonous snakes into the camp to teach the Israelites to obey. But then he realizes that they need a, a method of salvation, and so he tells Moses to make, take some bronze and make a serpent out of it and put it up on a pole so that everybody can see. And if the Israelites will believe that God is with them, when they're bitten by one of the poisonous snakes, they can turn and look at the bronze snake on the pole and they'll live. And Jesus says, Nicodemus, I'm going to be like that snake. I'm going to be lifted up. We know that means onto a cross where he's going to die for our sins. And if people will just believe in me, they can have eternal life. And enter the kingdom of God. And it's at this point that Nicodemus kind of disappears into the background. And the, the rest of these verses become John narrating for us the truth of what Jesus has just said in this famous verse that we know. But what I want you to see before we move on is that a next level relationship with Jesus requires we show up. And Nicodemus did just that. But I think it matters how we show up. Nicodemus didn't come full of pride and arrogance, clinging tightly to everything he knew and all of his right answers. He shows up for a late night meeting with someone who believes different things than he believes. With someone who treats people differently than he treats people. With someone who viewed faith differently than he views faith. And he walks into that late night meeting with Jesus with a posture of teachability and humility. 
And I think the first thing we need to understand is if we're going to have a next level relationship with Jesus, we have to humbly hear. We have to show up ready to humbly hear. Nicodemus is a well-respected teacher. He's authority. He has all the power. And yet he comes ready to humbly hear what Jesus has to say. Not holding tight to what he already knows. There was a time and place when we used to be able to have civil discourse. Where we could sit down and talk about things we disagree on. And that didn't mean that I hate you as a person. When I was in undergrad, I had a professor. His name was Dr. Wes. Dr. Wes was brilliant. He actually was the scholar who translated the book of Hebrews in the NIV Bible. And I got to sit under him for class after class after class. And one of the classes we took was called Christian Social Ethics. And the goal of this class was to help us understand how we should respond as Christian leaders and as followers of Jesus to different cultural topics. Now, I'm going to admit, even in 1998, some of Dr. West's uh, material here was a little dated. And so one of the cultural issues we were discussing was whether or not Christians could attend the movie theater. I'm not going to lie to you. Prior to 1998, sitting in Dr. West's class, I didn't even know this was controversial. I was like, wait, we can't attend the movie theater? Why can't we attend the movie? And his belief, and I, there is no mocking here whatsoever, so please do not hear, this is not a funny thing. His belief was that Christians should not attend movies. Because even if you attend a G or PG rated movie, you are providing money to the movie theater for them to bring in R rated movies or movies that portray messages that we don't want to, we don't want to endorse and so we shouldn't attend. I have had very few limited moments of brilliance in academic settings. But I raised my hand. Dr. West called on me. I said, Dr. West, I'm just trying to understand your logic. We can't attend movie theaters because we don't want to bring, we can't attend movies at theaters because we don't want to bring these things in. Yes, okay. Where do you grocery shop? And he said, Kroger. And I said, so by shopping at Kroger, you're supporting alcoholism because Kroger sells alcohol. And he was like, that'll be enough out of you today, Mr. Roden. You can be quiet. And I was like, yes, I, I stumped the, the wisest guy I've ever met, right? He didn't have an answer. So I don't tell you that story so I can highlight my one moment of academic genius. I tell you that story because I want you to understand my pastoral ministry, my theological understanding came from a guy who I had all kinds of disagreements with. But he taught me more about what it means to study the Bible and to love people than anybody else. Dr. West believed it was a sin for you to drive 56 miles an hour in a 55 mile an hour zone. And if you kept doing it, Jesus might stop loving you. I, on the other hand, believe that it is a sin to drive under 60 in a 55-mile-an-hour zone. And if you keep doing it, Jesus will still love you, but I am not going to be happy with you. Right? We had all these disagreements. But I am grateful for Dr. Wes. I'm grateful that I sat in those classes and I listened to what he had to say. And I went back and I did my own study. And I wrestled with what it was. And I wrestled with what Scripture was saying versus what Dr. West was saying. And I had to come to those understanding. 
Church, I think we've forgotten how to do this. And it breaks my heart. I think when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, too often we come to God's word to read it and we've already read that passage. We already know what it said. We might have it memorized. We heard somebody preach on it who we liked once. And so we don't even open our hearts to anything new that the Holy Spirit could lead and guide us to when we read that passage. We don't look at the context. We don't look at how Jesus interacted. We simply cling hard to the truth we know. And worse yet, I'm afraid some of us think we know what Jesus said or did. And because we know that, we haven't opened our Bibles in weeks or months. Because we've got a few biblical truths we hold on to. And we have a general understanding of what the Bible says. But we haven't shown up to humbly hear what Jesus has for us today. We haven't shown up to humbly hear and learn from what the Bible says today. We don't have a clear picture of how Nicodemus' story ends. We don't know if he believed or he didn't believe. But what we do know is that in John 7, he defends Jesus in public in front of the other Pharisees. We also know he helped place Jesus' body in the tomb out of respect in John 19. I would argue that because Nicodemus chose to show up with a heart of humility, ready to listen to what Jesus said, it changed his perspective. And the gospel changed his life. Now, John's narrative has two other things we're going to go through quickly. John 3, 16 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that it might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because we, he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. The people love the darkness rather than the light because of their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clear, clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. How many of you have read John 3.16? Have it memorized? Maybe you've got it cross-stitched on a pillow, and your take of that verse is that it's for everybody else. I've already believed it. I don't need John 3.16 anymore. I think that is the biggest lie that we live in today. John 3.16 is as much for you and for me as it is for anybody who doesn't know Jesus. Because the gospel is not simply something we accept and then move on. The gospel, as someone said in my life group this week, is the secret sauce that holds life together. And if we're going to know what it means to take our relationship to Jesus to the next level, we have to faithfully follow. The gospel is a story that Jesus loves you. Not that Jesus loved you. Present tense. Jesus loves you, and Jesus loves me, and he's calling us to follow him. My guess is too many of us are living our lives like this meme. Something like me trying to excel in my career, maintain a social life, drink enough water, exercise, text everyone back, stay safe and survive and be happy. Feel like anybody else is weak this week? 
Yeah. But what would happen if we would just stop and spend some quiet time with Jesus? Read the gospel. Realize that to follow him is to experience his love anew every day. No matter what I've done. Today, yesterday, what I'm going to do tomorrow, Jesus wants you to show up to learn what it means to follow and to understand that that comes based in love. I wonder if some of our fear of missing out or anger about not being included or struggle to find a place where it's safe enough to be ourselves would disappear if we just made time to read the gospel. If we made time to show up with Jesus. See, because 1 John 4.18 says, such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we're afraid, it's for fear of punishment. And this shows that we've not fully experienced his perfect love. Church, our God is bigger than your sins, your fears, or anything that causes you to feel unloved. He's in control and nothing can overpower him. Our God loves you. And faithfully following him means walking in that love every day. The gospel is the secret sauce we need every day to remind us how much we're loved. And if we want a next level relationship with him, we have to show up to spend time in his word. And maybe if you and I started spending more time in his word and less time worrying about culture wars, we'd understand just how loved we are and just how much of an impact that can make on our lives as faithful followers. The final thing the story of Nicodemus teaches us is we have to courageously confess. John says, everyone who does wicked things hates the light, but whoever does what is true comes to the light. Confession is never easy. Confession doesn't come quick. To be honest, most of us would rather sweep our mistakes under the rug and pretend like they're not there than we would come to Jesus and say we're sorry, than we would step into the light and apologize to the person we've offended. But if we're going to be followers of Jesus, we have to learn to step into the light, step out of the darkness, and make courageous confessions when we make mistakes. Maybe your confession is just between you and Jesus. You've got something you need to talk to him about. Maybe your confession is something you need to talk to somebody else in the room about. Not everybody. Not everybody, not standing on stage, no microphones, but just a faithful friend who's going to love you through it. And maybe, maybe your, faithful, your courageous confession is to professed belief for the first time today because you walked into the room and you're like I'm not exactly sure where I am with Jesus we'd love to talk to you about that but no matter where you are in your relationship with Jesus if you want to take it to the next level it requires we show up we show up to humbly hear to faithfully follow to courageously confess and if you're a homework person I've got a little something for you to do this week I want to encourage you, first of all, these won't be on the screen, so you got to like memorize them or write them down. First of all, I want to encourage you to start reading the Gospel of Luke. 
If you read one chapter a day by the end of October, you'll be through the entire gospel. But what I want you to see as you read the gospel of Luke is what's number two. I want you to look at as you read. Don't just read it and put it away and forget about it. Read it and think about how Jesus responds. Look at what Jesus does. Look at what Jesus says. And then ask yourself, this is the terrifying question for me to ask and for you to ask. Do my actions and my words match the way Jesus treats people? And if not, what are we going to do about it? Lastly, number three, and this is just between you and God. Ask yourself, is what I'm listening to causing me to love more or fear more? The gospel calls us to love, to experience love, to share love. If what we're listening to, what we're thinking about, what we're putting into our bodies is causing us to fear, what changes do we need to make? And lastly, is there a sin you need to confess? Is there something going on in life you need to confess? You see, when we show up with this kind of attitude to Jesus, we get to see the beauty of the cross and the power of an empty tomb. And we're fortunate enough that Jesus left us tangible material things to remember this by. So each month as we gather at the communion table, we remember And we get an opportunity to show up again in the presence of Jesus. To remember his body broken for you and I. To remember his blood shed to pay the price for sins that he didn't commit. So we can have grace we don't deserve. And so as you prepare to come and receive communion today, I want to encourage you to think about your relationship with Jesus. And what's it going to look like to take that relationship to the next level? A couple things about communion. One, if you're here and you need prayer, you got questions about who Jesus is, you need somebody to pray about something going on in your life, well, prayer workers on the side of the room, and we would love to pray with you today. Secondly, everyone who believes in Jesus or calls yourself a follower of Jesus is welcome at the communion table. So please come. The server will give you a piece of bread. You can dip it in the grape juice. And maybe this is a time when you need to spend talking to Jesus, confessing the things that you've been hiding in the dark and bring them into the light. Whenever you're ready, you can take that communion. So would you pray with me? And then we'll come. Jesus, I'm thankful for people like Nicodemus. People who realized they didn't have it all together. They didn't have all the answers. No matter what everybody else thought, people like Nicodemus come and they ask questions. They seek to discover. God, I pray that you'd make us like Nicodemus. I pray that you'd help us to come humbly to learn and to hear from your word what you have to say. God, I pray that you'd make us people who faithfully follow empowered by your love to show love to others around us. And God, I pray that you give us the courage to confess. God, we want all of this so our relationship with you can be deeper 
more meaningful so we can experience you in a different way. God, thank you for what Jesus did on the cross that paid the way for us to have a relationship with you. As we come to celebrate that, we say thank you for your mercy and grace all over again. We pray all this in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit.